Yeah, and that, that's, that has become, uh, that phrase there has become uh, sort of quite central to my life and also to my children's and to our family's life. That's what we think we have been called to do and that's what we've been doing. Have the next slide. Okay, and press it again. Yeah, this, this is where Eritrea is. It's a very tiny place. It's where we call the Horn of Africa. It's just above Ethiopia. Indeed, it used to be part of Ethiopia. Shall I stand over there? Okay. It, it, it is that, it's that um, tiny green uh, place. And at the moment, um, I, I would say you, you, you sort of visualize that map, that part of Africa, that Horn of Africa. And... And pray about it because there is rumors of yet another war, uh, <coughs> this time with um, Djibouti, even tinier than Eritrea. So that's Eritrea. And if you point, and if you point Djibouti out as well. To where? Djibouti. Djibouti. Oh, can't they hear me? All right. That. So there's, there's rumors of yet another war. So we need, as, as a body of Christ, we need to pray about that part of the world uh, because... There may be another war, and we don't want another war. And possibly the only people who can stop the, uh, another war happening are people like you and me by praying uh, for peace and stability in that region. Can I have the next slide? Just keep pressing until the whole thing comes. Okay, thanks. Yeah, this, this is a brief um, history on Eritrea, and it's about the, the, the long struggle for independence from, from Ethiopia that was going on for um, over 30 years. And, um, and, and it's, it, it gives the background of where our leaders, the Eritrean leaders, are coming from. It's during that struggle which was their guiding principle was the Marxist-Leninist ideology, the communism um, tainted thinking, and that's probably uh, one of the elements of why there is religious persecution now. Uh, but Eritrea, can I have the next slide? But Eritrea is not just about that, it's about, as Leon was saying, it's about people. It's, 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 a, it's a picture of diversity, diversity in terms of religion. It's split 50-50 between Muslims and Christians. And um, Dr. Brahani will correct me on this if I'm wrong, but there has never been a religious war in Eritrea. There hasn't been any uh, significant strife between the two main religions. But also um, Eritrea is a mirror of um, ethnicities as well and languages for such a small place. It has got... Um, um, quite uh, a wide diversity, and the, the Eritrean public is, uh, people of Eritrea are admired for their ability to live side by side with each other. I mean, I grew up with, um, I grew up with a number of Muslim girls in a Catholic school. So they, we, we, none of us were Catholics, but we went to a Catholic school, and it didn't occur to me. It was a good school to go to. None of the parents questioned that and, and, and it's against this background. In fact, that's what makes it, that's what makes the religious persecution painful, even more painful for, for me because I just see that there was no need for um, disrupting that um, community cohesion. Can I have the next slide? 
It is uh, in uh, February 2002, the, perhaps the turning point for, uh, for, for, um, for religious persecution. It's not the first time that it happened, February 2002, May 2002. That's uh, from between February and May, that's around that era, um, that time. It, it, that's when, when for the first time what was rumored about religious persecution uh, was becoming a bit vivid and people were saying that you know, it was rising above the current. Before that, quite a number of young people from the, from the national service were prohibited uh, from owning Bibles or from worshipping together or from holding Bible studies. But in 2002, this became quite open and, um, and in fact, it culminated in, 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 in May 2002 when all churches not belonging to the four groups that the government were prepared at that point to recognize, which is the um, Orthodox Church of Eritrea, the Catholic Church of Eritrea, the Lutheran Church of Eritrea, and the, um, the Muslims. These were the only four groups that were allowed to operate. All the rest of us, um, all the other churches, including Dr. Brahani's church, my mom's church, um, and, and a number of other um, smaller but very vibrant churches, very strong churches, mainly made up of young people, uh, were shut and were, were overnight they became um, illegal. So any services, including weddings, um, any other services in those churches became illegal. And so much so that at the moment, uh, if, if, a, if a young couple want to marry and they want to get married in their churches, then the pastor will have to take them aside and do it in their parents' bedroom with a couple of witnesses. That's, that's the only um, that, that service they get, and then they get a reception, of course, but they, they do not get a church blessing because these meetings are seen as illegal meetings. Um, and a number of people are... Uh, are um, detained in shipment containers. This is a shipment container uh, which, which uh, are used as prisons. And we've, had, we've heard uh, live testimonies of people who have escaped those shipment prisons um, and shipment container prisons. And the significance of this is in Eritrea where it gets, where it's a semi-desert, um, climate. In the day, this gets very hot, and it's like being in an oven. And in the night, it gets very cold, and the shipment containers become very, very cold. They become like fridges. And, uh, and also because of what was transported inside them before they were used as prisons, that there may be contamination sometimes, and a number of people complain of something falling on them because of the condensation and, and it being contaminated, tainted with something. Um, there isn't any sanitation at all in those um, prisons and people are only allowed for toileting once or twice a day, if that, and sometimes for punishments or if there are security um, situations, security fears, then they don't even come and get them. There's only a small window, one of those panels at the front would be taken out and that would be a small window and that's all they would have to um, gaze out of. And sometimes up to 20, 25 people could be held in, in these containers for a number of months. They would go out once a day, sometimes twice a day, and they would get a small bread and 
some broth if they're lucky to go with it, and sometimes they might get tea, so there's severe malnutrition. Okay, the impacts of religious persecution has been um, severe torture. Uh, a lot of the time the prisoners are tortured um, for, for two reasons. One, one of the reasons is asking them to recant their faith, so they would give them a piece of paper that states I would not attend any more church meetings, I would not um, share my faith with others, I would not sing, I would not preach, I would not um, hold Bible studies, I would not reflect my religion, I would not, um, I would not participate in any church services. So they, they would ask them to sign these things, but they refuse, so they are tortured until they agree to sign or in other situations, if they are found praying for others within the prison, or if they are found sharing their faith with others in those prisons, they are tortured in that situation too. Um, they are tied in various positions, contorted, and one of them is called the number eight, whereby the person is tied and their legs are brought backwards as well, so it looks like a number eight. Sometimes they are tied on... Um, with their hands onto a tree. So it, it's called the Jesus Christ position. So it's as if they're on a cross. Um, there's the helicopter position where somebody's suspended. So it, it looks like they're a helicopter. And there are various positions that they're um, held in. These are the four that I remember, but there are more. At the time of me writing this, there were three people that we knew who had died, but um, since, unfortunately, we have have heard of one more, a young woman. But um, these are the people that we know about, that we somehow come to know about, but they cannot be the only one. When people describe what happens and we ask them, does anybody die? They just look at us as if we're mad because you know, it, it is known that so many people die in that situation. Not just the Christians, but so many prisoners die and there's no accountability and nobody. So when, when you ask, do, do, has anybody died, they would look at you and say, what kind of a question is that? Of course they would die. Who would count them? Let their mothers count them. We wouldn't know. Nobody would know. And the, the problem with Eritrea, which is um, with Eritreans, is because there's a mass migration, mass exile of mainly young people, a lot of parents don't know whether their children are still in the army or have been arrested um, or have died or even have uh, fled the country. So quite a number of parents just leave without knowing the fate of their children. The, but the persecution, although we talk about the persecution in the churches that we have come from, in the churches that were not that were denied recognition, the persecution didn't stop there, and it hasn't. Um, it, has, it is spreading. This is the Orthodox Patriarch, um, the head of the Orthodox Church of Eritrea, uh, which accounts for about 40% of the population. And um, he has been um, detained. He's been under house arrest for about two years now, maybe a bit more. And, um, and he, in, in his place, the government have appointed another patriarch, which is illegal uh, in a, according to the canon of the Orthodox Church. When a patriarch is alive, unless that patriarch has been found to be um, unfit because of mental health or unfit for the ministry because of... Um, 
misconduct, then nobody can appoint another patriarch, but the government of Eritrea has gone and done that. And um, with him, a number of other Orthodox um, priests have been arrested. Two of them are medical, uh, well, one is a psychiatrist and one is a me uh, another medical doctor who are also priests, and one, one is a Bible scholar. So the three priests, well, four, there's another priest as well. Uh, four priests and the patriarch um, have been um, arrested in a number of, particularly those people who are from what, what we call the Orthodox Church Renewal Movement. So Orthodox Church is a very traditional church, but the, the young people have had their own renewal movement, and these young people have been targeted as well, and uh, the, the four priests that have been arrested are identified with, with this, with as the leaders of this movement, and the patriarch was targeted for not um, for, for not speaking against them or not for, for not witnessing against them because he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't disband them or uh, that he he didn't he kept saying he didn't find anything wrong with their teaching or with their ministry or with their personal life. There are women prisoners. This is um, Helen Brahani. She's a singer. And uh, she was arrested for over two years in one of those shipment containers that we talked about, that I showed you earlier on. And, um, and, and was for quite a number of the time, she was held in communicado. She was, uh, for about four months, she was in one, in one of the, those um, containers all by herself. And for some of that time, she was even denied food. She was beaten severely until she was black and blue all over. And then she was released because they thought she was going to die. But all that time, the Lord had put Helen in the minds of so many people. And so many people were praying for her. And at one point, when there was a time when we didn't know whether she was alive or dead, and so many people were asking us about her, and we received an email from Polynesia. And uh, although on the one hand we were, I mean, I fully recognize what Leon was saying, that nobody, Eritrea never makes it to the radar of international um, communities or the powers that be, but the power of the prayer was such that a country that I had never heard of had heard about Helen and they were praying for her and they had, um, they had it in their mind, they had it in their spirit to, uh, to, to send us an email of encouragement and also the fact that they're praying for her. A number of other churches, small churches across the UK were phoning us, emailing us, inviting us, asking us about her, and everybody was praying for her. And, um, but, um, I mean, eventually she was released with so many letters that were, that were written um, to uh, members of the government in Eritrea, so much so that they were amazed about this young person who was arrested from outside the, um, at one point from outside the um, Catholic cathedral because she was just sharing her faith outside there. She was 29 years old when she was arrested. She was just an average young Eritrean from Asmara. Nobody knew about her when she was arrested, but by the end of all that, almost the entire Christian community across the globe knew all about her. From that prison cell, from that container, Helen was able to minister to the entire world about her faith, about 
what Jesus meant for her. And, and, and the government officials were amazed by that. And they were, in fact, there were points when they were afraid of her. And they didn't want her body in their prison cells. So they released what they thought was her body. But the Lord revived her. And um, I'll come back to that story later in a minute. But if we... The other impact of the, 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 um, the persecution and by implication the other side of our ministry has been the, the support to families of, uh, of those who are in prison and particularly to the wives of um, the pastors and the other ministers who have been taken to prison because in Eritrea women don't, don't work and if they do it's, they're not the main uh, breadwinners. I suppose that's the case in many parts of the world. And so when a, when, when a pastor, when a father is arrested, then the, the whole household becomes destitute. And it's very difficult for women to make a living in Eritrea. Let alone, I mean, it's even more difficult if your husband was a pastor and you were, he was arrested. Nobody would give those women any uh, means of earning a living. So we... we um, we hold their, uh, I mean, we've got a, a lot of, uh, we feel very responsible for, for, this, uh, for these women. And also we, we feel that if they're strengthened, if, if their spirits are maintained, if they're strong in the Lord, that their husbands will be strengthened wherever they are as well that the Lord would minister to these men through the strength of their, their, their wives, knowing that they will be taken care of, knowing, knowing that somebody will be there to support them and comfort them. The other people that we worry and pray and work uh, to support are children as well, not just children of prisoners, but also there are children who are in prison uh, there are children who are in prison because of their faith, and there are children who are in prison because their mothers have been arrested. So quite young children who are arrested, who are in prison alongside their mothers, even children who were born in those prisons, but also there are children who have been arrested uh, because, because of their own faith. Uh, for instance, there was um, a Sunday school class that was a Sunday school class that took place on a Saturday for some reason that was raided and uh, 135 children were arrested and they were detained for a few days and that, you know, that was a traumatic period for all those children and their parents and then we come across uh, a number of children who have refused to participate in activities that the government has put up like um, various marches and things on Independence Day and things like that, that they refused because they thought it was against their faith or what they stood for. And, and, and there are children who, well, who were arrested as children, as 16 and 17-year-olds, who are not children anymore because they have been in prison for so long. But there are younger children and high school students who have been arrested because they were found um, sharing their faith with other students. And they would be detained alongside adults because they're considered as leaders of their, um, their group. Refugees, the, the refugee making process is another situation that has been intensified over the years. I mean, this, um, again, this slide is a, a few months old and those figures 
although I kind of touched touched on a few of them, they, they, they are a bit outdated now. Um, they're, again, something that didn't make the radars of many of us would be, uh, for instance, the fact that on uh, over the last week, towards the end of last week, um, there was the, Egypt, the Egyptian authorities were preparing to deport um, I think it was over a thousand Eritrean refugees, and they managed to deport about 200 of them back to Eritrea, which means back to prisons. Because effectively, if um, if a young person is outside the country at the moment without the government say so, uh, because everybody is expected over the over the age of the over 18 is expected to be in the military service, they're absconders. So automatically, if you leave the country without the government's permission, then you're, you, you're seen as somebody who's absent, absent without leave. And they could be, I mean, the way the government of Eritrea sees and how they have explained it over the years is it's, it's, they, they, they could be court-martialed because they're members of the, the defense force that have absconded that are absent without leave. So they, they, they could even be um, court-martialed. A number of them would be, all of them would be taken to um, various prisons um, across the country. They would be subjected to a lot of torture. Um, they, we have known of a few who have died in prison because of, the, the, because of their torture. So the, the refugee situation is quite worrying. There, there are... Um, at least 25,000 Eritrean young people in, in, in Ethiopia, which is supposed to be uh, in war with Eritrea at the moment. But also there are, uh, even here in the UK and in Europe, there are a number of, uh, in, here in the UK, Eritrea is the second largest refugee-producing country at the moment. And that's significant for such a small country to, for there to be so many refugees. And... They, we, they don't get treated as people who have fled those situations. They get treated as people who have um, sought better life. I am just going to stop there because, and just just say a few words about what we need to do. Of course, the main thing as a body of Christ, what we need to do is to pray for this situation. We need to pray. We need to bring Eritrea and Eritreans before the Lord as much as we can, nothing is too much. But also we need to um, join hands and say no to this, speak for those people who cannot speak for themselves, who are unable to speak for themselves at the moment. But it won't always be like that. You know, situations will change, things will change, and the Eritrean Christians would be able to speak for themselves and for others in due course. But at the moment, that body of Christ, that part of the body needs us to be the mouthpiece for them, and that's what I'd like um, to leave with you for tonight. Thank you, and sorry for talking too long. Thank you.